0: BFM 89.9. Good morning. It's 7:06 a.m. on Tuesday, the 26th of December. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Philip C and Anwar Mahbob. In about half an hour, we're going to discuss the outlook for fixed income markets in the year ahead, but we are going to kick start this uh, shorter work week with a look at how global markets closed last Friday before the Christmas weekend.
1: Well, last Friday, the Dow closed down 0.05% and the S&P 500 and Nasdaq was both up 0.2%. On the Asian front, the Hang Seng was down 1.7%, STI was up 0.9% and our very own FBM Kelsey down 0.1%.
0: There were two markets that were open yesterday, right? We'll pay attention to them because they were open on Christmas morning. Uh, The Nikkei was up 0.3%, while the Shanghai Composite was also up 0.1%. And uh, for some thoughts on what's going to be moving markets in the remaining week of the year, as well as into 2024, we have on the line with us Laurent Leque, Independent Market Analyst. Laurent, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Let's take a look at what's happening in the central bank landscape, right? Because the Fed, the ECB and the BOE held rates in their final meetings of 2023, but their paths are likely to diverge in the new year. What accounts for the different stances of these central banks?
2: Hi, good morning. Merry Christmas. Uh, yeah, the, the Fed, the ECB, and the BOE are all at the end of their tightening cycle, but they are facing quite different uh, economic situation I- in the U.S., Uh, The Fed is likely uh, to face another rebound in the trampoline landing of the U.S. economy. We have financial conditions that have eased uh, quite substantially uh, since Halloween. On the other hand, the ECB and the BOE are already facing kind of a recession in their respective uh, countries.
1: How will this translate to the broader financial sector of both regions? Let's start with the US, where regional banks were barely hit by the tightening cycle this year. Is the the worst over for them, given the rate cut outlook?
2: Well, the worst may not be over. I mean, uh, the U.S. regional banks have relied on the BTFPL support since March. And then in 2024, uh, they are likely to face a deterioration in the credit quality of the commercial loans. So I think that we will see more trouble uh, for the U.S. Uh, financial sector in the next 12 months.
3: But meanwhile, in Europe, the collapse of Credit Suisse sent shockwaves in the Swiss and European financial sector. How well positioned are European banks to navigate policy turbulence in the coming year?
2: Yeah, the European banks are facing kind of a similar situation than uh, the US peers. Uh, We have already seen quite a sharp deterioration in the quality of the credit portfolio. Uh, Last week, uh, we had uh, the Austrian uh, Uh, real estate company Cigna defaulting and this has pushed uh, Moody's to downgrade uh, the private bank Julius Baer. So you can see that uh, European banks are also in a very tough uh, situation. I mean, who are the big
3: European banks that will be most vulnerable then?
2: Well, I guess are those who have a big exposure uh, to real estate. So I would think that UBS could be in trouble next year after the takeover of CS.
0: Well, coming back, I think, to the outlook of the U.S. economy, you've been pretty optimistic on the positive trajectory. But I'm wondering if there are any downside risks to watch in the fight against inflation. The Fed has signaled that they think inflation could be under control, but it's not quite over yet. Um, how do you think this might play out? What what kind of factors might uh pose a stumbling block to, I suppose, the downward inflation trend. And are there particular equity sectors which would be more vulnerable to inflation volatility?
2: Well, I think the, the more potential downside risk is coming from a rebound in uh, commodities and in the oil price that will impact both inflation as well as the pricing, uh, as, as well as the consumer so I think that all these sectors that are directly or indirectly related to the consumer spending, like consumer discretionary, consumer staples, remain the more vulnerable because it will be very difficult for these companies to continue to pass through higher input prices to their customer.
1: Laura let's move on to commodities. Uh, gold prices are ending the year on a high, currently trading above 2000 US dollars for the past 2 weeks. What counts for this and will these levels be sustained into 2024?
2: Well, physical gold is inherently the asset free of counterparty risk. So we have clearly see an interest in physical gold because there's a growing fears about counterparty uh, risk defaulting. And I think that going uh, into 2024, uh, we have the U.S. presidential election. We have uh, half of the global population uh, going to the polls. So we will see rising uh, fears of even uh, the public institution uh, unable uh, to solve uh, economic uh, problems in the next 12 months.
3: And Lauren, casting our eyes uh, on the 2024, which is just a couple of days away, talking about asset allocation going forward, is the 60 40 portfolio debt 60 equities, 40 bonds?
2: Well, I, I think that uh, this portfolio was kind of a portfolio that was uh, quite successful in a pre COVID uh, environment. We mm. are in a new economic environment and uh, As I said, uh, bonds are not really uh, playing their safe haven status anymore. So you should look uh, for other assets as a safe haven or anti-fragile asset. And that's why uh, gold is particularly interesting in that uh, environment because it's relatively decorrelated Mm. from other assets.
3: So how much then would you weigh, you know, for equities versus bonds, cash or even alternative assets like gold then?
2: Well, I think it depends of uh, the personal risk aversion of each investor, but I, I would think that uh, having a ten to twenty percent physical gold in a portfolio uh, would be uh, valuable in the in the current environment.
1: Lauren, just a quick question. Um, how soon do you think that the money flows back to emerging markets? Well, this part of the world. We're all hungry for funding equities investment as well.
2: Well, I think emerging market uh, will have their time in 2023. Uh, if we look back, uh, we see a very strong uh, equity market in uh, India, and uh, I think that maybe China will finally uh, show something interesting for investor in 2024. I would say that China remain kind of a black box for Western investors, so it's very difficult for them to get exposure to the Chinese equity market. But uh, long-term prospect of markets like Indonesia, India remains very good for investors over the long term.
0: And let's just end very quickly on the issue of currencies. Laurent, the U.S. dollar has retreated in recent days from earlier highs, possibly due to thin liquidity and rate cut expectations. How do you see the majors such as the euro and yen performing against the greenback when the new year begins?
2: Well, as I said, I think that the ECB is likely to cut uh, interest rate uh, before the Fed. So this would be uh, very positive for the dollars against uh, the euro. Against uh, the yen is another story. I guess that in 2024, the BOJ will have uh, finally to to pivot. And meaning for the the BOJ pivot means that they will have to raise rates. So, I guess that we could see a strengthening of the yen against the dollar. So all in all, I guess that the dollar will be kind of a mixed back, strengthening against the euro, but weakening against the yen.
0: Laurent, thanks so much for speaking to us, uh, especially on the day after Christmas. And a Happy New Year to you. That was Laurent Lequeux, Independent Market Analyst, giving us his take on some of the trends that he sees moving markets uh, in the remaining week of the year, as well as in the year ahead.
3: Interesting that China is the black box, right? We don't know whether it will, you know, research uh, in 2024, but if he started the conversation about the divergent pathways that we're going to see across the Atlantic between the United States and the UK, Europe.
1: And many parts of Southeast Asia are very dependent on China's recovery. I mean, they are going through their own problems as well. And Mm -hmm. the government is trying to figure out which policy is the right policy for the economy.
0: We are going to cover more about ASEAN markets in particular a little later in the show. But I was struck by one of uh, Laurent's comments and that he thinks the ECB is going to cut rates sooner than the Fed, which is slightly different from what um, Christine Lagarde has been telegraphing. I think the ECB has been saying that it's not time to cut rates yet. But he's right. In the Eurozone, they are experiencing recession in some parts of the region. Uh, so perhaps they would be more pressed to cut rates.
3: For, def- for very different reasons, right? The rationale for the rate cuts in the U.S., this is what you see in continental Europe. What I think is very interesting also from Laurent's uh, comments were that actually the banks will be also under quite a bit of pressure in Europe. I think articulating that. After Credit Suisse, there are more banks that could follow.
0: Well, we're going to be watching that space.
3: Well, the banks did. uh, He did say that banks are experiencing worse credit portfolios. But what
1: also raised, uh, piqued my interest was that there's more interest in physical gold. You know, Mm. and whenever there's interest in gold, that means people are getting more cautious about economy. This is a safe haven,
3: right? Back to gold. Gold is gold.
0: That way. I think gold is great, to put it that way. Uh, but uh, let's take a look at some of the news headlines that have caught our eye this morning. Admittedly, a rather thin news day. I think everyone's very much in the holiday season. But we do have news coming out of Japan related to Daihatsu. So, Daihatsu is going to stop Japanese domestic shipments and suspend operations until January in efforts to contain the fallout of an investigation that revealed most of its vehicles were not properly tested for collision safety. Now, the move to suspend shipments will affect vehicles produced in Japan as well as overseas." Well, these are
3: very, this is a very interesting car company. If you go to Japan, they have these very popular K cars. They are these boxy cars that you see zipping all around Tokyo and they are really the manufacturer of these very popular cars, right? They are small compact cars that actually are expressway uh, lane friendly. I think what's very interesting for me is the implications it has on Perdur because Tehatsu is a critical partner for Perdua. We had some conversation about five days ago, I think, about Perdua reassessing the relationship there. So fundamentally, how does this suspension of operations also affect Peridua's operations back here in Malaysia?
0: That is something to look out for, I think, especially in the coming days ahead. Uh, It is 7.17 in the morning. Let's take a quick break. Uh, We'll come back with more of the stories that have made headlines this morning from our newspapers and portals. So stay tuned to BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.